everybody, it is Friday, October 5th, 2018, and you're listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelik, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. And while today is a very, very fall day, it's been in the 40s, it's been raining, it's been cloudy, I haven't seen the sun, uh, we can try to talk about some fun and exciting things that showed up at the 2018 Paris Auto Show. Uh, That kicked off earlier this week, and I think now it's open to the public as we speak. Uh, A lot of interesting things coming from the French brands, a few interesting things from the Germans. Uh, So we'll break down some of those uh, specialty models that were announced uh, there. In the culture segment, we want to talk a little bit about autonomous vehicles. And in this case, it's going to be public transportation uh, that is autonomous. Uh, It was just recently announced here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that we're going to be getting an autonomous uh, bus line. Uh, It's going to be an experimental thing that's going to start in the spring next year, and we'll have it available for a year, and then we'll see if they end up keep doing it afterwards. More details to come. And then last up, a car that's been on my mind. It's the Land Rover LR2. Uh, It was the replacement for the Freelander, actually kind of a continuation of sorts as that vehicle. Uh, Really a precursor to a lot of the luxury SUVs that we see today. So I've got some thoughts. I don't know why I haven't really thought about this thing in a while, but wow, it's a surprisingly relevant and weirdly affordable SUV these days. So all that and more after the bumps, but uh, also I guess we'll do the part where I tell you Uh, Hey, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to listen to previous episodes of this show, uh, you can dive back in at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. And you can also uh, find more episodes of this show on various podcasting platforms, including Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Pocket Cast, so on and so forth. It's all out there. It's got a teal icon that says salvage title. So click it, like it, share it, subscribe it. Uh, Give us a rating if they have that really helps on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, anyway, after the bump, Paris Auto Show news. All right, well, since it is the Paris Auto Show, we may as well talk about some interesting French vehicles first. Uh, as much as, uh, Peugeot, Citroën, Renault, Uh, and some of their partners have these amazing products out there. The French really kind of run the deal when it comes to Paris. And, uh, of course, they're going to have some overly stylized, uh, crazy concepts. Uh, Renault in particular had one that comes to mind. I'm forgetting the name, but it is, it looks like something out of, uh, Minority Report. It is basically a driverless, uh, taxi cab that you basically climb into and get piled piloted around in uh, something that won't happen anywhere near the near future but instead we'll talk about some more realistic French concept cars uh, that are getting announced Uh, so first up is the Peugeot uh, e-legend which I think kind of stole the Paris Auto Show this year Uh, the e-legend is a Peugeot uh, semi-autonomous EV uh, that is styled after the 504 coupe which dates back to the late 70s Um, If you've never seen the 504, I think it's without a doubt one of the most iconic French motor vehicles aside from the Citroën DS. Uh, It just looks just timeless, I feel like, in in any photo of it. It is absolutely stunning to look at. Maybe not the best car to drive, but nevertheless, it's a cool looking car. And this new E-Legend takes a lot of that style, modernizes it, gives it a lot of modern safety and technology. 
Uh, the big thing, of course, is that it is an EV only, and Peugeot's kind of leaning into the idea that this is going to be a sporty EV coupe uh, with seating for four. Uh, it's got about 450 horsepower, almost 600 pound-feet of torque. This thing would be pretty darn quick from a standstill. They're saying about four seconds and have about 300 miles of range. Now, whether or not this thing would actually be cheap enough for people to be able to buy, eh, you know, it's hard to say. When you've got that all that industrial uh, capacity behind you, if it shares a platform with something else, if it's using battery technology that's being developed for other things, there's definitely ways where this car could be somewhat production ready. And keeping in mind that Peugeot and Citroën and Opel are looking to come back to the United States in some way, shape, or form, the E-Legend definitely serves as a halo car of sorts for that effort. Uh, as far as other interesting things about the car, well... Uh, you know, like I said, it is semi-autonomous. It will have some of the uh, basic, uh, I think, level three technology, like what you see in Tesla's autopilot. So you'll still need to interact with the car to be able to do some things. But uh, it definitely shows a direction that Peugeot wants to go in. And I think this is definitely one of the most soulful EVs that we've seen in quite some time uh, from any EV automaker. That's not to say that Tesla's aren't evocative of sporting potential. I mean, look at the new Roadster. That thing is quite attractive, uh, but they lack a soul in, like, the art of it all. Uh, you know, I, I like Teslas a lot. I really like the Model 3. Everyone that I see, I think, is really a good-looking car, especially in gray. I don't know why. But uh, they they don't have, like, all of their style is designed by science. It's necessity, it's aerodynamics, it's something to increase range and not really your attachment to the vehicle necessarily versus this Peugeot where you can tell that the French care. It's a fashionable choice. It's something that's been tailored to meet a certain demand in the marketplace. And I just, I love this vehicle. I, I hope Peugeot gets around to making it. I hope as Peugeot uh, begins to start rolling out their uh, driver, uh, their car rental service, whatever you want to call it here in the U.S., that eventually one of the models we get to use, assuming they make this, is this. So yes, the Peugeot E-Legend. On a little bit more of the tangible end of French automobile announcements at the 2018 Paris show, uh, we've got the uh, Renault KZE. Uh, this new crossover, tiny crossover, uh, is not the first crossover EV, uh, but Renault is hoping that it becomes one of the most affordable and ubiquitous models out there. Uh, after all, in the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi alliance, they have three of the top-selling AVs that are sold worldwide under their umbrella. That is, of course, the Nissan LEAF, which is one of the highest-selling EVs here in the United States. They have the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid, which for quite a long time was the top-selling uh, hybrid electric vehicle in the UK. And then they have the Renault Zoe, which is one of the cheapest and best-selling EVs all across all of Europe. Uh, the KZE kind of hopes to take what they've learned from each of those three models and, and apply it to the budding crossover segment. As I've said a bazillion times before, crossovers are the hot new thing, so if we can make this thing work as a crossover, why not do it? Um, so the KZE kind of takes some of the cutesy, small, fun styling cues and um, design features from the Zoe and turns it into a crossover. Uh, at least for the uh, American listeners out there, 
Nissan Kicks, think of something about that size, so it's a little bit smaller than the Leaf overall. Um, it's got, sounds like it's got some of the battery and motor technology from the Leaf. Uh, it's going to have about 150 miles of range. Uh, it's going to be relatively quick. Uh, it's going to be decently sized. I think it's really just overall an attractive package for a lot of people, and it stands a pretty good chance of going to a lot of places all around the world. Now, whether or not it'll be as cheap as the Zoe, that kind of remains to be seen. Uh, currently, the 2018 Zoe is just under uh, 19,000 pounds in the UK, which, you know, would work out to somewhere around 22 or $23,000 in the US. Uh, that's downright cheap for an EV these days. Um, we are, of course, getting the Hyundai Kona and Nero EVs here in the US in the not-too-distant future. And something like the KZE, would definitely undercut those in size and presumably price, but whether or not they would be able to uh, get past the strong, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for here. It's uh, Hyundai's definitely got a good market in what they're doing. They're growing in a lot of good ways with what they're doing. And uh, Renault would definitely have their work cut out for them. But I think this is an EV that would be very interesting to have here in the US. And I hope eventually, someday, that Renault seems to think that they might be able to do it. China, if I didn't say it, they're getting it next year, 2019. Europe will probably get it in 2020 as a 2021 model. Here in the U.S., if we get it, I don't think it would be badged as a Renault. Um, it would probably get rebadged as a Nissan in some way, shape, or form. Or they would take this powertrain that's in it and probably adapt it to the Nissan Kicks platform. Or potentially, this could be the new platform that the Nissan Kicks sits on and they adapt it in whatever way. Remains to be seen. We don't really know a whole lot. But cool that it's happening very soon. So while we're still on the subject of Renault, Nissan, and Mitsubishi, we'll talk a little bit about their luxury brand, Infinity. Infinity here in the U.S., of course, started in the late 80s as a reaction to what had happened with Lexus and Acura. Uh, Infinity gained a lot of success through the Q40 and 45 models throughout the uh, late 80s, early 90s, into the 2000s, and eventually Infinity kind of reached a crescendo in the mid-late aughts with the G35 and the FX35 and 45. Uh, the MSAT class did a lot of really good things for a long time, uh, and then it just all blew apart in a million ways. Uh, Denition came in from Audi. Uh, he changed up the naming schemes, really started to dictate some strange decisions when it came to styling and performance. Uh, and when he left to go to Cadillac, he kind of left the brand in shambles. Quick note, he did get fired from Cadillac recently. This guy needs to be banned from managing any automotive brands in the near future. Uh, but Infinity has been trying to fix their image. They've been working on a lot of different things. They've got some interesting new models out there right now. And one of the more interesting ones is, of course, the Q60, which is based on the Q50, which used to be the G35. Uh, yeah, it's a stupid way they're doing other naming conventions. But nevertheless, the Q60 is a really good-looking car. And they debuted a model not too long ago called the Red Sport 400, which, as you guessed, has 400 horsepower with a twin-turbocharged V6. Uh, what they announced in Paris 2018 this year was the Project Black S, which takes the Red Sport 400 and lets the Renault Sport Formula One team really massage the car over and help make it a much more credible luxury performance coupe uh, that could really take on the BMW M4 GTS or the Cadillac AT or ATS-V, um, really be a challenger to the new C-Class AMGs, so on and so forth. 
so what makes this car really interesting is the fact that they have adapted the Formula One car's curve system to this uh well, what otherwise would have been the Project Red 400. Uh, the Project Black S has that curve system which can add as much as 160 horsepower to the rear wheels uh, to add on top of the power of the turbocharged 3-liter V6. And then the curve system can also pre-spool the turbochargers that are attached to the engine. So basically you have no turbo lag. There's always power available. Um, this is a thing that was kind of pioneered by the McLaren P1 and the Ferrari LaFerrari. Um, and now we're starting to see it in cars that are almost, quote-unquote, affordable and road legal. Uh, the interesting, other interesting thing about the Project Black S is the way that Renault Sport was able to lighten everything and increase the aerodynamic capabilities of the vehicle. Uh, the Red Sport 400 has a weight distribution of 5842, which is incredibly front-heavy and explains a lot of why a lot of people don't care for the overall performance of the vehicle. Uh, it just can't handle the way that it should because so much power is left over the front wheels. Uh, this particular model, the Project Black S, goes down to 50-50, which is the perfect weight distribution that every brand often strives to hit uh, with the cars. Think of the Honda S2000, think of the old E46 M3. 50-50 uh, is the way to go, and they got it there. Um, whether or not the Project Black S ever sees the streets... Uh, Infinity's not saying, but as they continue to attach themselves to the Formula One performance of the Renault Sport team, whether or not they actually do well in the Formula One season, I think is a good move. Uh, Infinity needs to get its soul back, and they need to continue to try to compete with someone or anything out there. And if this is the way they want to go, this is the way to do it, I suppose. I It's, it's hard to say what exactly they're going to do. Um, I really think... As much as Acura had been floundering for the past few years as well, Acura has really seemed to hone their style and get what they feel like is important out of their vehicles, and they're getting them to customers at prices that seem smart. Volvo fixed their styling issues, uh, their powertrain issues. They are making really high-quality vehicles at pretty decent prices that offer a really good luxury alternative to what you get from the German brands. Cadillac seems to have figured out a lot of what was wrong with themselves, even if I don't like all of their new models. Uh, so Infinity needs to do the same. I don't have the best answer here, uh, but while BMW's weak, while Audi continues to be spread out in so many different directions, it's their chance to really take the crown as the performance coupe champion. So uh, I'm hoping this is the model where they get to do it. So, of course, the biggest news for the 2018 Paris show was the debut of the G20 chassis BMW 3 Series. Uh, this is the first all-new 3 Series that we've had in a while. It's ditching the F-Series chassis that otherwise served as the red-headed stepchild of the uh, BMW 3 Series lineup. Uh, the Nothing really kind of came to surpass the um, E46 in any way, as much as the E90 was still pretty good. Uh, but the E46 is still the standard bearer. And everything that's kind of come after it has just been an increasingly bigger disappointment. And so BMW is hoping that the G20 kind of fixes that. Uh, the styling, I would say, is the most BMW styling that we've seen in a while. It, it looks like an older BMW in a good way. Um, in the kind of the same way that the newest 5 Series, I think, looks like the most 5 Series car that we've had since the early 2000s. Uh, but... 
you know, there's some weird things going on with this 3 Series too. Uh, this is the first 3 Series that's going to be sold in the United States without the option of a manual transmission. Uh, BMW has just given up on the prospect altogether. Uh, it's interesting, of course, because BMW has always been known as, quote-unquote, the ultimate driving machine. They've always tried to cater to high-performance vehicle enthusiasts, and this car is really stepping away from that idea altogether. Uh, if there's anything to have been learned about uh, the German luxury segment in the past decade or so is that Audi has really pushed uh, the whole marketplace to an end where, you know, it's comfort, performance in all weather conditions, uh, you know, safety, technology, all that stuff, instead of being the hard-edged, high-performance things that they used to be. And uh, the 3 Series has really suffered in that instance. I don't think BMW is comfortable with making uh, models in that segment. I think they have a really hard time uh, designing things first as comfort and whatever, and then making them sporty where they're either not enough of one or the other. Um, so we'll see if this 3 Series changes things up. I don't know. My biggest complaint about this car, aside from losing the manual transmission option, which I'm sure will be available in the M3 and M4, uh, I just, I don't like the interior. I think the interior looks bad. Now, granted, I'm not seeing it in person, and I'm not touching it in person, and it's hard to judge strictly from photos, but it's based on the Z4 uh, design elements, and the Z4 interior looks okay for a, a performance roadster, but in a sedan like this, it just, it really... It's not ticking the boxes for me, um, where I really appreciate the streamlined simplicity of the new Audi interiors, and I really like the kind of over-exaggerated, over-designed, somewhat Art Deco stylings of the Mercedes interiors. BMWs just have this almost architectural, uh, overly simplified, or not even overly simplified, because like Audi gets that like just right. The BMWs just look weird. I don't know. I just, I don't really care for it. That's my biggest complaint. If you want to see what I'm talking about, take a look at a picture. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But yeah, it's not doing it for me. But I'm hoping that the G20 kind of resurrects the brand just a little bit more. What is also weird about this car is it's going to launch uh, strictly with uh, two liter turbocharged engines to start. Um, sounds like they're going to be badged as 330s here in the U.S., uh, I don't really get this naming convention anymore. I hate it. I want it to change. I want it to go back to the way it used to be. Uh, but these 2-liter uh, turbos are known for being pretty powerful and being relatively reliable. Um, the big turbocharged inline straight 6 will come as a 340i later on. There will be an M Sport package. Of course, there will be an M3 later on down the line. Uh, we just have to wait for time to pass, and then we'll find out more. But new 3 Series. I guess it's time to rejoice that the F Series is dead, but... Uh, yeah, it's it's not the most exciting vehicle out there, to say the least. One last model to talk about from the 2018 Paris show is the GAC GS5. GAC, of course, is the Guangzhou Automobile Group uh, in China. They're one of the biggest automobile brands in China, and they've really been able to step up their game over the past few years as they continue to partner with brands from all over the world to build their cars for the Chinese market. Um, there are a bunch of other Chinese brands that I've talked about before, including Neo, the electric brand, uh, Geely, the brand that owns uh, Volvo, and what other brand did they just purchase? I think they just purchased Lotus as well. Um, GAC is kind of the other one in those three. Um, G 
GAC has a sedan that I think has been pretty well regarded. I'm forgetting what the name of it is. Uh, the GS5 is seeking to be that mid-sized crossover that's kind of the, the hot new segment of vehicles all across the world. Uh, this version of the GS5, uh, like I said, about the size of a Honda CRV, Toyota RAV4. It's got a 1.5 liter turbocharged engine and a six-speed automatic, which is a little bit archaic in terms of number of gears, but nevertheless, if it works, it works. Uh, the 1.5 liter turbocharger uh, doesn't have power or fuel economy numbers, but I would imagine, or at least I would hope, it has somewhere near the upper 20s and low 30s. Um, that kind of remains to be seen. Style-wise, I think is kind of the more interesting thing about this vehicle. It looks like a relatively recent Hyundai. Not the most recent Hyundais, but the relatively recent ones. And I think that's kind of very flattering for Hyundai. Um, as much as the Chinese brands had been copying uh, luxury models from Lexus and Cadillac and many others for years previous, uh, this GS5 is honoring a relatively mid-level vehicle and taking its styling cues in a way that seems somewhat attractive and not entirely not the same, but kind of the same kind of thing. Uh, the car is good looking. It's decent size. It's got a floating rear roof like all the other Nissans and every other crossover out there today. Um, the interior is pretty decently laid out. It looks like a normal car interior. Um, I think it's really going to kind of come down to, at least here in the U.S., uh, how cheap it is and how good or bad the build quality is. Uh, we do have several Chinese-made vehicles that are sold here in the U.S. The big one, of course, is the Buick Envision, which has been pretty well regarded in terms of build quality and reliability as it's been here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you can get something that's 90% a Honda CRV for 70 or 80% of the price... I don't see a reason why people wouldn't buy these as long as, you know, we don't get into some crazy racist or xenophobic or protectionist stance against Chinese automobiles. GAC is one of many brands, including Neo, Geely, uh, what's the other big one? I'm totally blanking out. There's another one uh, that's owned by Warren Buffett, or at least partially owned by Warren Buffett. Uh, they all want to have cars on sale in the United States by 2020. GAC was saying that they could have cars on the market as early as the end of 2019. Uh, all of that remains to be seen, and with Trump doing what he's doing right now when it comes to tariffs and so many other things, uh, it's not exactly clear if we're going to see a Chinese car uh, available in the United States right away. But the GS5 definitely makes a case for itself. It definitely looks like a kind of car that Americans would want to buy if it ever ends up happening. So keep your eyes peeled. Otherwise, uh, you'll see this car in Europe and most parts of Asia in the very near future. So a little bit of an interesting, and I guess in my case, a hyper-local story, uh, May Mobility, an autonomous vehicle company that's based on the east side of Michigan uh, near Detroit, uh, they are going to be developing a pilot system for a public transport model uh, here in Grand Rapids in early 2019. It sounds like as early as March, uh, they're hoping to have 20 of their small electric uh, transport vehicles made available to citizens of the city. Uh, sounds like for free to uh, provide transport from the east side to the west side and vice versa. 
Um, whether or not this is going to hit all of the hot spots of activity on both sides of the river uh, kind of remains to be seen. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, something that's going to be able to get you somewhere on a very frequent basis, uh, the intervals at which these things are going to be picking up and dropping people off is going to be pretty quick, I guess, uh, is going to be pretty cool. And I'm definitely interested to see how this is going to work. It does sound like initially uh, these vehicles are going to require some kind of driver uh, at the beginning, more than likely to probably get the old white people who live in Grand Rapids to feel comfortable with using this and not being like, ooh, there's a ghost driving the car. Um, but later on, hopefully these vehicles are going to be running completely by themselves. Uh, May or May Mobility wants to get a lot of interesting uh, data and tech, or, uh, well, not just data, but like... Uh, feedback from the community, things like that, to continue to grow this project. Um, I think it's really cool. I guess this uh, project has kind of been working on a much smaller basis in Detroit for the past year or so. Uh, May Mobility has been providing these vehicles to a subsidiary of Quicken Loans uh, that's transporting their employees from uh, a faraway parking facility to the offices and back and forth. And they've reduced travel times from just over 10 minutes to less than four. And if they could do the same kind of thing here in Grand Rapids, that would be pretty substantial. We've got two brand new grocery stores that just opened up in the downtown area, which is a huge boon for business and people for moving downtown. And I think these things, as things continue to grow in the city, are going to be a really good way for people to make use of public transport. And I think it's really going to do a lot to get people used to the idea that robots can drive cars too. Um, after all, we are still seeing just as many uh, vehicle deaths per year as we have in recent years, and as much as safety and technology is continuing to grow, uh, people are still dying on a frequent basis. And, uh, you know, we're going to have to get used to the idea that robots are going to have to do some of the driving uh, for some people in the near future. And I guess this is a good way to do it. Um, apparently one of these things is floating around somewhere downtown in Grand Rapids for you to be able to co go look at and climb in and see. Um, I'll have to check it out and maybe do a report, but uh, early spring 2019, they're saying we should have them. So I hope to give you guys some feedback on our autonomous future very soon. So last up, a car that's been on my mind, a car that's been burned into the front of my brain for the past few days, and that is the Land Rover LR2, otherwise known as the Freelander 2, across much of the rest of the world. Uh, I came across one of these the other day walking into work. Um, it was a dark slate gray LR2 uh, parked on the street in downtown Holland, and I was reminded that this vehicle exists. I hadn't really thought of it in a while just because it was kind of still the forebearer for everything that was going to come when it came to small crossovers and SUVs from luxury brands. Uh, the original Freelander, of course, came out in the late 90s, and it was known for being a very lightweight, very capable, small little runabout thing. Um, but it unfortunately debuted at a time in which uh, BMW had acquired the company. There was a lot of reliability and quality issues. Uh, it had a soft top that was available for the thing, which seemed very strange compared to other Land Rovers of the era. Um, but a lot of people really liked the Freelander. And the LR2 kind of take took all of what was good about the Freelander and made it a much more luxurious and accessible SUV under the tutelage of Ford, which had owned the company at that point in time. 
Um, what is interesting to know, and I had no idea until I had researched the vehicle a little bit for this segment, uh, the car is actually based on the same chassis that the current Ford Focus and Ford Escape rides on. Um, it was one of the first cars to go on the same platform, which is really strange. Uh, the engine was co-developed with Volvo because Ford, of course, still owned Volvo and Land Rover at that point in time. So it uses the uh, Volvo Straight 6, or at least it's a variation of the Volvo Straight 6 that was in uh, the 60s and 70s uh, series models, uh, the T6 versions. This one, of course, does not have a turbocharger on it, but uh, nevertheless, it's a pretty straightforward, powerful vehicle. Um, that has a very trick all-wheel drive system that was designed by Haldex and tuned by Land Rover. Um, this thing's got a train management system, so it's always in four-wheel drive, but it uses traction control and stability control and a few other techno-mechanical doodads to get you out of trouble quickly and easily, depending on where you've got that knob rotated on the dash. What I really like about these vehicles, too, is that I feel like they've aged really well style-wise. Um, they still look like they're from the late aughts into the early teens, uh, but it looks good in a way that kind of the newer Range Rovers have a style that I think is also aging pretty well. Um, it's round and somewhat aerodynamic. It looks luxurious, but it's not too flashy and a, woo here I am with an expensive crossover uh, to do whatever. Uh, when I think of its contemporary uh, Discovery com um, companion, the LR3 here in the U.S., the LR3 looks very dated, and I, I think it's the rounded corners of the headlights and the bumpers and fenders and everything. It just looks somewhat strange. Uh, this one just looks good. Interior-wise, well, mm, it hasn't aged quite the same. It's got that kind of Volvo-style way too many buttons for the center dashboard um, but it does everything it needs to do it's got the 60s cd changer it's got an auxiliary input i believe it has bluetooth like it is a very up-to-date vehicle by modern standards and that's kind of interesting what isn't up to date is of course the way that this thing burns through gasoline uh, considering its outside dimensions, you would think that it would be relatively fuel efficient compared to, say, a modern Honda CRV or a Chevrolet Equinox, which is about the same size as this. Uh, instead, you'll have about 15 to 22 mpgs uh, in the city and on the highway. Uh, that's due in part to that Volvo Straight 6 being pretty damn thirsty for premium fuel and having that full-time all-wheel drive system always burning up gas, uh, whether you need it or not. Uh, what is also interesting about these uh, vehicles is the way that the resale values have completely burnt up. Uh, and pretty good condition LR2 um, with under 100,000 miles, especially one of the later models. So uh, 2012 and after. So 2012, 2013, 2014 are considered to be the more reliable, uh, better models to get. Uh, you're looking at about 14 to about $20,000. Uh, for resale price, which seems pretty good, and that's from a dealer. So person to person, you might be able to get it for a little bit less than that. Uh, for fourteen grand to get that kind of off-road performance, that relative luxury, that seemingly good Ford build quality, because also it should be said that because Ford was building these out at the time, based on a Ford chassis, using a lot of off-the-shelf Ford and Volvo parts, uh, this thing has got pretty decent reliability scores. Now, granted, it's a Land Rover, so repair costs are going to be higher than average, but compared to other Land Rovers and Range Rovers of the era, this is going to probably be the cheapest model uh, that you can get when it comes to fixing things. 
So yeah, I don't know. The LR2, it is just like, it is there. I just, I need to go see one and touch one and drive one. I don't know. It just, I cannot get the stupid thing out of my brain and I don't know why. It's really strange. But uh, yeah, if you haven't seen an LR2 in a while, or you haven't thought about it in a while, definitely look it up. Watch a video, do something. It's, uh, it's a pretty interesting vehicle to think about in the context of where we are today. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Azalek, and you can follow me on Twitter at YSSMAN, or you can follow back on previous episodes of the show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. These podcast episodes are made available free on all the different platforms out there, including Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts, and so many more. So if you see it out there, make sure that you like it. Uh, subscribe to it and give it a rating if that's possible. It helps other people see the show uh, being listened to. Um, one thing that uh, happened last week was an extremely dour and upsetting uh, end to the show where I was mad about politics as a process and where we were at as a people. And guess what? We're still in the same spot. Um, Senator Collins of Maine and Senator Manchin of West Virginia just announced today that they are going to be voting for Kavanaugh to be confirmed to the United States Supreme Court, which is something that should not be happening. Um, so same message as last week. Uh, if you are in pain, upset, or anything about what's going on in this country, what has happened over the past few weeks, I need you to make sure that you hold that within you and take that with you when you go to vote in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the first thing that you need to be doing right now if you are upset is you need to check your voter registration and make sure it is still current. Uh, or if you are not voting or if you're not registered to vote, you need to be registered to vote as soon as possible. Um, head on over to vote.org. They have a bunch of painless and dead simple easy tools to use in order to get you registered to vote. Uh, so head on over to vote.org. That's V-O-T-E dot O-R-G. Uh, and check your registration or get registered to vote. Second stage of that process, you need to understand who you're voting for and what you're voting for in your local constituency, whether it's your mayor, your city council, the school board, the drain commissioner, uh, your federal representative to the House of Representatives, uh, your senators, so on and so forth. Pay attention to what you're voting for. It's important to be an informed voter. Uh, if you need to see a copy of what you're voting on, I believe vote.org has some of that uh, available to you, as well as your local uh, secretary of state or whoever handles voting in your local jurisdiction. Uh, check it out there. They have to make this stuff publicly available, uh, so make sure that you understand what you are voting on. And then last up, you need to make sure that you turn out to vote. Um, that is the biggest hiccup that we have had as a generation of millennials, whatever you want to call us, zennials, millennials, whatever. Um, if you are between the ages of 18 and 35, uh, unfortunately, we're all kind of bundled together and we are being shit on by the age groups that have come before us. And this is our chance to turn this boat around, take the reins, tell them to fuck off and change this country for the better. So, Show up to vote. It's November 6, 2018. It's the first Tuesday of every November, every single year. Not just every two years, not just every four years. You need to vote every single year on the first Tuesday of November. This year, it's November 6. Turn out to vote. Vote what you think is right. If you don't think your current representative, senator, whatever is doing the good job that they need to be doing, you need to vote their asses out. If there's somebody who's running against your current senators, you need to vote them in. So make sure you're paying attention and do what you got to do. 
We have a great opportunity to make things better. Let's use our anger. Let's use our political savviness. Let's use our technological savvy to get people out there and voting. I know I'm going to be doing the same thing. I hope you do the same thing as well. So with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a good weekend. I hope you enjoy this seemingly almost knee-deep uh, dive into fall. Uh, it is... It's time for Donuts and Cider. So uh, with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a great weekend, and we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast.